0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Deloitte. Clients count on Deloitte to help them transform uncertainty into possibility and rapid change into lasting progress. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Military spending accounts for about half of the federal discretionary budget, but the fiscal 2017 plan President Obama released on Tuesday reflected his lame duck status by punting on important questions about new weapons, personnel levels, and force structure. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ defense reporter John Donnelly. John, you write that Congress doesn't want to box the next president in by shifting priorities or canceling major programs, but lawmakers this year still could boost Pentagon spending well above what Obama's proposing, right?
1: Yes, they will make changes on the margins, but this is a last budget in the president's uh, second term, and so both the administration and Congress realize that whatever they start is uh, likely to be uh, torn up and started again by the new administration, regardless of party. Obviously, less of a change under Democrats than under Republicans. But we are looking, though at is uh, an increase of I would say roughly fifteen billion dollars over the president's proposal once Congress is done with it this year. That would put it over six hundred billion? Yes. Just over. Now the budget
0: proposes cutting about eleven billion dollars in weapons purchases which uh, in contrast is kind of a drop in the bucket and in some instances you write officials make up for the cuts with increased
1: spending elsewhere. Give us some sense of which systems
0: are in favor.
1: Well, I would say that the F-35 fighter jet is in favor. It's not an uncomplicated story. The, the Air Force version of the plane is going to be reduced by, I think, 45 over the next five years. But they're making up for it, at least this year, by adding in the Navy and the Marine Corps. But I would call it a winner because this is a program that has been uh, under a, having a lot of technical difficulties. It's behind schedule, it's over cost. It's devouring a huge percentage of the budget. So the fact that most of them are going to be bought is a win for the contractor. Having said that, I think they will delay buys year by year and maybe never get them back. So, but they're still going to buy more than 2,000 probably of these planes. The objective right now is 2,400 plus. Any other systems that are in favor? There's a lot. I mean, the reason I say it was kind of a autopilot budget is there's a whole range of improvements to the nuclear arsenal that are on track. Things like a new bomber, uh, new bombs themselves, a new nuclear-tipped cruise missile, a new uh, submarine that would fire nuclear weapons. Those are on track. There's a new tanker that's coming on that's gonna take up a lot of the Air Force budget. Another winner is the Super Hornet jet that's built by Boeing in St. Louis, which was nearing the end of its life. They're adding a few more of those this year. Drones are in constant demand in the war zones. They're building more of those. The A-10 attack jet, which the Pentagon had wanted to terminate, they're going to keep it alive for at least a few more years It turns out uh, they're pretty good and they're used uh, a lot in some of the conflict we've got going on around the world. There aren't a whole lot of losers, actually. I mean, a few helicopter programs are going to be cut back. Uh, A ship called the Littoral Combat Ship, a smaller shore hugging vessel uh, that has had its own share of problems, is going to be cut back. But mostly, as I said at the outset, things are going to be. Uh, kind of status quo, status quo continued forward. We'll see what the next president does.
0: There's been a lot of talk about something called the European Reassurance Initiative, which is designed to deter Russia with more weapons and training and a
1: continuous army presence. Uh, when did that become an imperative? Shortly after Russia annexed Crimea and invaded Ukraine, I say shortly after because that, that happened in 2014, but it took maybe a year or so before you started to see the Pentagon explicitly call Russia the greatest threat to U.S. national security. And before you start to see some of these programs, some of the spending reflect that change in rhetoric, it's actually quite remarkable the degree to which Russia has transplanted uh, terrorism uh, and places like Iran and North Korea, or China even, as the biggest worry for the Pentagon. The European Reassurance Initiative, as it's called, would quadruple in the coming year from the current fiscal year, and it would basically be in in several Eastern European countries, you would have a, as you pointed out, almost a continuous U.S. Army presence, armored U.S. Army presence, uh, heavy vehicles and the like, and training and aid to these countries, basically sending a clear message for Russia not to mess with uh, the Baltics in particular.
0: Now, uh, we talked about terrorism a little bit before. Funding to fight the Islamic State in Obama's budget would be doubled to $7.5 billion, uh, including more uh, for an effort in Africa where extremists are increasingly taking root. Is that one area where Congress might plus up spending? I would
1: say it depends on the situation in Iraq and Syria and and North Africa, etc., but the situation is not improving. ISIS is recruiting more fighters than had previously been estimated, we learned just this month. Their affiliates are springing up hither and yon. Uh, Libya is increasingly a, a place of concern, and so the situation's not improving, so I would suggest that the funding for that will increase. I would add also that the war budget is going to go up regardless of what is needed for wars because it, is, it has become a safety valve to put additional spending for non-war military needs because the war budget is not capped by law. It's considered emergency, and so it's a place where they can uh, put some more money. And yet the budget that
0: was presented Tuesday doesn't keep the Pentagon on pace with inflation. Uh, What could the next president do to close the gap between the military's goals and ambitions and what budget law actually allows?
1: The next president is going to be in a really tough spot with regard to the defense budget. And uh, that's because it doesn't appear likely that they're going to get a lot more money. They'll probably get a little more money because they're so politically strong on the Hill, but they're not going to get a lot more. And the overall federal budget picture is going to get more dire because of the growth in programs like social security and Medicare. And at the same time, even though we've spent so much money on defense in the last 14 years, believe it or not, we have not Uh, replaced a lot of systems that we need to replace and arguably need to replace and those include some of the nuclear programs that I talked about earlier a whole new intercontinental ballistic missile to replace the aging ones we have now the submarines that uh, carry uh, nuclear missiles are aging so Almost all these things are going to need to be replaced. I say almost because invariably the next president is going to have to make some cutbacks. He's not going to be able to have it all. Systems like the F-35 are going to be continually in the, uh, in the sights of, uh, of budgeteers. All this budget talk comes in the context of a world situation where, as we mentioned, Russia and other countries are increasingly assertive, and increasingly capable. The superiority advantage that the United States has had militarily, while still unmatched, I hasten to say, has begun to narrow. And uh, other countries are going to be challenging the United States, and terrorist groups too, non-nation actors. And so this is of increasing concern uh, to the U.S. military services.
0: CQ defense reporter John Donnelly on the outlook for defense spending in fiscal 2017 and beyond. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CQ Now, and you can download our podcast for iPhones on iTunes and for Android on SoundCloud. Today's podcast was brought to you by Deloitte. Clients count on Deloitte to help them transform uncertainty into possibility and rapid change into lasting progress.